Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Double One Radio Games Cast. It's episode number 55. Today, we're going to be talking about sci fi and fantasy and delivering your setting in games. Not, not specifically like sci fi and fantasy elements, but getting your setting across to the player. As always, I am your host, Ryan, and I'm joined by my lovely duo of co hosts, Brett and Wyatt. Hi. Hi. Hello. You sound confused. Are you um, sure you're um, supposed to be here? Uh, no. <laughs> well, you're too late. Oh, You've darn it. Stumbled into the pit. All right. I don't know. I don't know. Ryan came into my room and he just shoved twenty bucks in my hands and said, "Hey, do you want to be in an episode of a podcast?" And just, I was like, "I mean, twenty bucks is twenty bucks." No, I mean, just, just I, one more I, episode. I, he said, "Why?" Well, I, I took the twenty bucks out of your hand. I didn't give it. <laughs> Where's my check? Oh, right, you already took it. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, we've got some fun video game rumors and news from the last like week and a half. Uh, of stuff, but first we're gonna start with with clearing up the ongoing mystery around Days Gone Two, and Sony that we had had mentioned last week that we want to take a little time to look at into the actual situation. Uh, so we're going off currently of what Drayson Trier is reporting because he has an extremely stellar record of being correct <laughs> about literally everything. So, according to Trier and interviews he's had with um, unnamed developers at the studio for obvious reasons. Of them not getting fired, <laughs> the uh, Days Gone Two was rejected in 2019 and is not in active development. So, um, clarifying what this means, rejected means the game was pitched to Sony and was not accepted as being something they were going to work on. Uh, that doesn't mean Days Gone Two will never happen, but it means it's far less likely. And there are other rumors floating around that the pitch they were doing was related to a shared shared world multiplayer version of the game which makes very little sense (laughs) (laughs) having played the first game so that that might have something to do with it uh and the the director of days gone one and the writer have both left the studio for a while now it's been um jeff ross the the game's director left uh, a couple months ago and the writer of the the first game left basically immediately after the first game released so yeah, Days Gone 2 is either is looking unlikely or just it will be very different if it does come out eventually. It's kind of a shame because I, I I really enjoyed Days Gone, but I'm I'm playing through it right now and uh, I'm really really loving it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a Definitely. very very interesting take on on the zombie open world genre. Don't uh, let the fact that it's a zombie game deter you. At oh all, yeah, is is what I'll say. I am as indifferent as they come. Yeah, I mean, but that's you on kind of everything. Brandy. That's not true, and you know it. <laughs> you just sound so defeated, Brett. Defeated <laughs> by the, the zombie genre. Uh, zombie <laughs> genre. You can't even muster a full sentence. No, right? <laughs> I can't. God, it's I've almost like me it's almost one. like me. It's almost like me talking about a JRPG. It's kind of it's kind of depressing. I mean, we had some detailed conversations about FF Seven, so. Give yourself some credit, Wyatt. You, you tried a new thing, and unlike Brett, actually gave it a chance. No, it was it like was Brett the remake. No, it was it was the remake. So in terms of uh, JRPGs, I was cheating a little. Well, bit. it was certainly Baby's first JRPG, but <laughs> uh, and it certainly had a lot of gobbledygook in it. 
in techno jargon. Uh, speaking yes. of techno jargon, the Mass Effect Legendary <laughs> Edition went gold and is confirmed to be coming out May 14th. We, we knew the date for a while, but it's gone gold and it looks real good. They showed a bunch of lighting redos that I think the, the interesting thing with the lighting is that, at least in Mass Effect 1, it's pretty different from what the game originally looked like, but it's a lot closer to the concept art, which is interesting. I, th I think that means they were really going for a spiritual remake and not a direct remake. They really wanted to like capture the spirit of what those areas were meant to originally look like and not what they actually looked like, mm -hmm. uh, which is interesting because uh, there's been a mixed reaction to it. Personally speaking, uh, I'm not going to be getting it because there's not going to be nearly as many tuckuses in it, which means I'm definitely not buying it. So, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm so glad you've clarified that for me, Wyatt. Right. <laughs> Thank God. As of two days ago, this is, this is only impacting me because no one else here plays racing games. Unless, Brett, you're about to pull out another surprise. Uh, and no, just only Ridge Racer Four. That's it. So I, I don't talk about it a lot on the past, on, on the podcast because it hasn't really come up yet. But I do play a lot of racing games. Uh, recently, a lot of Forza. But you know, there's a racing game that that's been chugging along for near a decade now. <laughs> that has just suddenly overtaken the title of the most selling race racing game ever made. That is Mario Kart Eight. <laughs> okay. From the that's Wii U. <laughs> That's not a surprise. <laughs> I just love that the best-selling racing game in history is a kart racer. The Nintendo the console. <laughs> like when when you like if someone asks you like oh what's the the best-selling I immediately what comes to mind is like Forza. Forza like, and like GT Sport. If it, yeah, it, like in two that early two thousand GT Sport hasn't really done anything in a long time, but uh, yeah, or, or Forza like, um, instant thing. Yeah. Yeah, instant think. Instant yeah. think. That's gonna be my new. I'm gonna. That's gonna be my new thing. I'm gonna start saying instant think because yep. it's funny. <laughs> uh, we got another hotfix patch for Cyberpunk, and they call it a hotfix. It's actually a fairly substantial set of fixes. So another step in the right direction, which is just encouraging to see that we're getting more, and it's it's happening a lot faster now than the first two patches after the whole issue uh, with the uh, the hacking. <laughs> I haven't played it uh, since any of these new like updates went live i've been meaning to go back and see if i notice uh, a difference I, I will say i was relatively like safe when it came to to bugs and stuff like they were definitely little graphical bugs and stuff but nothing too major it was mostly just performance that i was having an issue with yeah like, like everyone I, else <laughs> my run through i was pretty lucky i didn't get any major bugs nothing beyond oh. like a level of what i would expect to see in like a ubisoft game you know what you know what did bug out for me though that was really terrible. The first time you meet Johnny Silverhand, it completely bugged out, and I was like, my head oh, had clipped yeah. into into the bed. And so that whole first encounter with him, I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> that was the only recurring bug I had. This Johnny Silverhand's effects would sometimes stick around after he left. But, oh, yep, yep. Uh, and by left, I don't mean like Johnny Silverhand leaving. I mean the uh, when he would disappear from a cutscene, the effect, the like static effect, would keep up. Uh, but yeah, we'll talk about Cyberpunk at some point. <laughs> <laughs> that games that games club episode will happen we just don't know when <laughs> we just keep, del we we just keep delaying, delaying we're, we're sticking to the spirit of cyberpunk and we just keep well, delaying because we haven't set a date yet so we're doing a little bit better mm. um <laughs> true true <laughs> we need to come out with like a little teaser like a little teaser trailer and in then neon yellow <laughs> exactly 
Exactly. Yup, yup. I mean, and then have Brett come out in in a. <laughs> he could just cosplay as Johnny Silverhand and just be like. All we gotta do is show up at Microsoft's E3 conference. <laughs> wake, wake the heck up, 001 Radio. We have a we have an episode to to burn. To burn. <laughs> I mean, that's all, that's on brand. So. <laughs> all right. Jeez, we we're we're already so off topic. <laughs> You're welcome. Th- thanks, Wyatt. Uh, I did <laughs> want to bring up a little a little rumor. We've been given courtesy of IGN, uh, not uh, not IGN actually, but uh, VGC Video Games Chronicle, is that the Bioshock Four uh, job listings have been listing it as an open world game. Mm. Oh no! Which is Why? curious. I'm I'm curious to see how this works because I think I think my my immediate reaction is there's so many open world shooters that I don't really there's nothing appealing in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and not to say that, especially the original Bioshock wasn't completely like linear. There was definitely yeah. some backtracking to previous eras, but I would not call it an open world game by any stretch of the imagination. I do think Infinite had sections that felt very open world. Um, mm-hmm. Part of that is just due to the fact that Infinite had some some stellar level design in a few areas, but there were there were some distinct moments where it really seemed like it was almost open world. So I kind of think we have a sense of what that might look like if they do make it truly open world of it being I mean, this, like if, if they make it open world in the sense of like i'm imagining what a, a completely like open world columbia would be like or an open world um rapture would be like and that does sound enticing because it wouldn't be like a traditional like oh open world like here's some land some mountains some like bodies of water or whatever like if you had an yeah. environment that was completely open-ended but it was still contained within like rapture or columbia that actually does sound kind of enticing I, I think the key thing is what i really don't want to see here is it to be an open world land mass yes <laughs> of just just generic far yes. cry style shooter setting i i'm especially thinking of like odyssey or valhalla where it's just space for the sake of having space <laughs> and no other reason. Yeah. So I hope that's not the case at all. The, the specific job phrasing here was that we're hoping to find someone, this is for the writing position, who can create impactful character-driven stories in an open-world setting. Uh, there are also some audio design positions that listed AAA narratively-driven FPS project full of character and personality. Because the important thing here is that these don't actively list Bioshock 4 as the Thing that you're working on because that's what most game studios do uh, when they list a job unless it's a released project like something like like a destiny where it's ongoing a live service game generally what right. you're gonna see is if it's something where like it's been announced so like elder scroll 6 you will probably see on bethesda what bethesda's site if you're looking for careers elder scroll 6 or or like elder scrolls in general um but if it's something like a Fallout game that hasn't been announced yet, you'll likely just see unannounced title or unannounced project. Uh, you can kind of get hints as to what those will be by the job descriptions, which is pretty common. This you is can put two and two together a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, because like the company needs people that know what they're doing in very specific areas. Uh, that's why it's like notoriously hard to break into AAA studios like this because they're looking for super specific things of like. When they say they're looking for a writer that can weave impactful character-driven stories in an open-world setting, that means they're looking for someone with experience writing open-world settings. Um, so, so that's like why these things are tend to be accurate is because it's what they're using to hire people. 
Uh, and there's not really a way to avoid it <laughs> in a case like this, where, where Cloud Chamber doesn't really do much else aside from Bioshock. So <laughs> people know it's, yeah. it's Bioshock. It would be like it would be like if if Infinity Ward put out a job listing for like sound design for a multiplayer first person shooter. Huh? I wonder it's, what I that wonder. could be. <laughs> so I, I think this is interesting because I, I think an open world Bioshock has a lot of potential uh, and is something that could be really good. But I don't have very much faith in the AAA games industry right now to pull that off. To, to, like, restrain themselves enough <laughs> from the open world. Restraint like, is, is the right... Restraint is the correct word there, definitely. Yeah, cause um, it's not, because it's not like I think there's too much scope. It is literally, I think they will go too far. Like, yeah. No, and we've been seeing that. I mean, it's what Ryan and I have been talking about forever with uh, Assassin's Creed, where yeah. their worlds just keep getting bigger and bigger, and so they have to fill it with more stuff that is never going to be as high quality because they don't have as much time to work on it. I think that that was we were just talking about Days Gone, right? I think that's one of the strengths of Days Gone is that it's actually when you look at it as a whole, it's a pretty like condensed open world compared to other like AAA open world. Games. It has a lot of but, like landmark areas. Like you're you're gonna be revisiting and learning the landscape. And there's a lot nothing more. wrong with that. Like learning those areas and learning the ins and outs, especially like oh, I know I can get gas here, or oh, I know there's some spare ammo that I left behind a while ago, like, there. Like, it's actually way better this way to, like, be able to learn these areas and know the ins and outs rather than just, like, oh, here's generic Greek temple number 725B. Yeah, <laughs> oh, Ryan, I mean, this, one is, this one's four times the size of Fallout 4. <laughs> 16 times! Or 15 times, excuse me. I got yep. my math wrong. I didn't carry the three. But yeah, I definitely agree, because like, my favorite open world in any game, I talk about Yakuza all the time, Yakuza has Kamurocho, which is tiny by open world comparisons. Like, it is the size of like a couple of blocks in a GTA game, <laughs> but it's packed so densely with detail that you cannot go 10 feet without finding something cool. Literally, yeah. like you walk 10 feet, you will find some weird cool thing you can do. Um, and that is so much more fun than... Yeah having like walking 30 30 minutes of gameplay unless you're in the mood for like one of those super lax what we would probably call podcast games where you're playing it just as like a, a way to de-stress and just relax and like enjoy the landscape that's totally fine like in that situation you do want those big sprawling land masses but for a focused like bioshock game <laughs> yeah i mean if you even want to compare ubisoft open worlds like i played I mean, I played Assassin's Creed, I played uh, um, Watch Dogs Legion, and I played Immortals basically back-to-back, -back, right? And it was no comparison in the sense that Immortals had a much... It was much smaller, but it was so... The results of it being so much smaller were, like, immediately noticeable. Like, the world design in that game is, like, excellent. Like, especially for an Ubisoft game, it's really, really well done. And it's because it was a lot smaller and they were able to focus on, like nicer looking areas rather than just having to spread everything out <laughs> all right you know? so i want to ask you two what do you think of when i say amazon game studios disaster hmm. fire <laughs> well and brimstone I, i'm sad that it wasn't cancellation because we have oh, yet another amazon studios cancellation hmm. uh they have canceled the Lord of the Rings MMO that was first announced in 2019. 
So the interesting thing with this to me is I did not know this game existed. Me neither. <laughs> until, until I heard it was canceled. Yeah. I, I think I heard rumblings about it from somewhere, but I, I didn't I know if it was like Amazon was doing something with Lord of the Rings. But that was I didn't it. know if it was actually like a like a rumor worth, you know, like if it was actually uh, truthful or not. Like I just didn't put any stock in it. <laughs> and this is interesting because this is coming like after both Crucible Breakaway uh, and Breakaway were were canceled, and New World has been delayed repeatedly. Um, so this is a little concerning with <laughs> Amazon Game Studios. If you weren't already concerned, uh, the interesting thing here is that apparently the cause of this cancellation is not like the game development; it is disagreements between Amazon and Tencent. So I don't know what the the. The distinctions of this are it's been said that they were they're just unable to secure terms to proceed with the title is like the phrase they've been using but we have no clue what that means we have no clue how far along this game was apparently people are very disappointed that it was canceled see uh, anything from it yet why can you be disappointed and the thing that gets me is there's already a lord of the rings mmo that's pretty good like the lord of the rings MMO, it's old but it is like a very solid mmo if you're looking for um, a Lord of the Rings MMO for some reason. So, no, I think you you've got options that aren't Amazon's probably bad <laughs> MMO I, that they're working on. My thing is like, how many how many games do they have left? Like New uh, World, they have that is that is it New right World. Now. Yep, yep. In, in, Which in, is in good hands. It was made by the people that made Crucible, so it's obviously in good hands. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, like after after that, like that's 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 got to be it. Like it would just be even if you're even if you're Amazon who has like quadrillions of dollars, just throw it. Apparently, literally nothing. Like you have to stop at some point. You have to realize that that maybe no, this isn't. We're literally not doing anything, and it's been years, and every single project has ended in failure or has not ended and just failed before it could. Maybe, maybe we should stop. Just maybe. Just maybe. About you know, it. Just hold off a little bit. And I think that's like a repeated thing we're talking about is a lot of game studios just need to exercise a little bit of restraint and not try to do everything. Yeah. Because, like, right. I think the, the big thing with Assassin's Creed Valhalla that we've talked about is that, like, Assassin's Creed Valhalla is a super expensive game to make. And the issues with the game are the fact that they spent so much money and time on putting so much extra stuff in that just isn't high quality or isn't um, like core to the experience. Like It would be less expensive to, <laughs> to make yeah. a, a game that people probably would have enjoyed a little bit more. So I'm hoping that Valhalla is a, a sign that they can like back off a little bit <laughs> i don't think they will i i don't think ubisoft has it in them but just like take take a step back and be like okay do we really need three land masses do we really need like however many hundred side quests it's oh the no next no ryan ryan it's technically game. four land masses oh it god i forgot one. about the fourth it's, one yeah it's yeah. technically four <laughs> it's not even technically four it is four i mean <laughs> 25,000 times the size of Fallout 4. <laughs> uh. Well, and it, 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 it's so sad, too, when you see, like, there's a lot of things in Ubisoft games where it's like, man, if you 
didn't spend so much time making such a big world and you could kind of focus things a little bit more like because they have a lot of interesting ideas in most of their games that they can never expand on because they don't have the time or the money or some combination of both to actually like execute them properly you know like if they had focused uh you know watchdogs down a little bit more and like really fleshed out you know some uh that sort whole recruitment system more i don't know i'm i'm, I'm gonna stop before i derail us again <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think we're already there. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about settings right now, right? Valhalla has a setting. Uh... <laughs> this this is going to turn into the open world wow. discussion leads episode. Me, leads wow. me to our award for the day. <sighs> so our award for today that we're, we're giving out is the, uh, the existing setting that we most want to see adapted into a AAA big budget video game. This is, we're pulling out all the stops. These people have Blizzard money, they have Amazon money, and they're making a video game. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon money, okay, game. not Amazon, Amazon talent. Seeing, after seeing the results, they may not want Amazon's money. <laughs> 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 They've got Jeff Bezos as personally funding this project. <laughs> it has ensured its completion. Oh, uh, no. They're pulling God. devs from all the AAA studios. So... We're we're creating the perfect AAA game of an existing setting. Now, this setting could be movies, books. Uh, it could even be other games, assuming as so long as it didn't originate as a game. Uh, so, like, no Mass Effect. We're not we're not tallying a new Mass Effect game because we know they're working on it. So, <laughs> so we know that's <laughs> happening. But something that is not originally games. So. I'm going to go first. I'm going to bring up a little-known book series by the name of Mistborn. Now, Mistborn is a, like, not grimdark fantasy, but it's a dark fantasy series of of books by Brandon Sanderson. They're extremely good, and the whole gist of it is because Brandon Sanderson writes magic as very, like, hard rules, they adapt super well into video game rule sets. The whole gist of the magic in this game is that you use you you drink alcohol that has metal flakes in it, and based on the metal that you've ingested, you get different abilities, and they're like you're born with different ones. So you've obviously got the people that have all of them, so they can ingest some like aluminum and do some weird stuff. They can ingest uh, iron and like pull things to them if they're metallic, which translates so perfectly to video game mechanics. Of having like limited resource meters and doing different things, I just want to see someone make that. I don't, I don't know what shape it would take. Probably like a an RPG of some kind. I just want to see those those mechanics executed from that setting in in a video game so badly. <laughs> and it hurts even more because there are, there have been rumored games from this, and the the uh, author has sold the license to a couple of game developers over the years that just have never made anything with it. <laughs> so oh. it's super sad. But I want to see something. I need to see that video game. Let me play it. All right. <laughs> Sounds cool. Uh, I I can go next if uh, if we're moving on uh, because there's a Netflix show that not a lot of people have heard of that I think would make a great video game. Um, it's a really it's based on a book series. I think it's a really interesting world, and I just think it would make a great uh, video game. It's called The Witcher. <laughs> I was gonna make the joke that you were gonna say that, and you actually did. Uh. <laughs> Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, immediately, 
what comes to mind is Avatar The Last Airbender. Like, just 100%, like, that's what came to Wyatt, mind. Wyatt, I'm glad um, we were on the same page, because I there's a reason I didn't say Avatar, because it's because I thought you were going for it. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Um, I think, I, I think it's 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 there's so much potential there because it's a lot like Star Wars in the sense that you could make so many, you could make almost any video game genre based on that series. Like you could do like an RPG, you could do like a a, a hack and slash, you could do like a Telltale style narrative thing, you could do a strategy game, you could you do a full blown I mean, MMO. The, like yeah, the the possibilities. Fits. The possibilities with this world are endless. And again, I think the rules of the world fits really well into a video game setting. Because they're martial arts. And like martial arts adapt super well to games when it's done right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, and like, whether it's like original Avatar The Last Airbender, whether it's Korra, uh, you know, the, the much later on in that series, like literally anything it doesn't it doesn't matter because it, again, it just fits all genres. And there's just so much potential there. And I am, legitimately shocked that we only got three of them and only like one and a half of them have been good <laughs> um, yeah and i just think there's so much wasted potential on such a great beloved there, franchise. there are moments in the legend of Korra game where you go like i could almost see how good this could have been like what like if we got budget title like and i'm more of a single player guy than like a competitive multiplayer guy but but competitive pro bending like it it's so, right there. So fun. It's right there. <laughs> they have the game mechanics. They have everything working. It just isn't multiplayer. Oh man. I mean, the only I, there were there were like three Avatar games that were for like the PS2 and I think GameCube and Xbox or something like that. And most the of them are like well. kind of okay. Uh, there. I actually this does the bring platinum me one to a was slight, not very good. Yeah, except for the pro bending. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I have a, a Raspberry Pi set up as an emulation machine, and there is an Avatar GBA game that is oh. really good. Oh, really? Like, really good. It, it's like a, this weird GBA puzzle action game. You've got different party members. You have to, like, order them in your party to different bits, and, like, uh, Sokka's got his boomerang. If you have Aang, you can do all your... some bending tricks and whatnot, and you learn more as it goes on. It only covers, like, the first... Um, book so it's not very much but it is like a really really fun like cool proof of it how an avatar adventure game on the gba would work uh yeah so there are some fun avatar games but nothing like triple a full-blown give it to me <laughs> one that one that i remember playing constantly uh when i was a kid was it was ba it was basically like baby's first diablo but it was an avatar game. So they had like a full loot system. Uh, it was also an original story and it wouldn't, it didn't, it had a lot of characters that you recognize from the series, but it was its own like weird original story that was actually kind of interesting and, and kind of cool. And it, it wasn't bad. Like, I don't think it's, it's nothing special, but it's, it's not bad, especially for making a Diablo style game, which is not the first thing that comes to mind. But again, it speaks to how, versatile the property is you could make yeah. anything all right it's just such a waste brett what do you got i think we all accidentally came here wanting the exact same thing to be a video game <laughs> with magic and abilities based off of the things that are around you and the things that are in the world that you could change 
Uh, that's right. Full Metal Alchemist. Oh my god, Brett. Because there have been... <laughs> There have been some games that are like hack and slashy, like it's a weird PS2 for the game. PS2 or something, yeah. But like you could just like just a full blown adventure game in in that world would be so awesome because you know like there's a lot of different Full Metal Alchemist things, but they're all they all kind of go to the the same places most of the time since they're all like adaptations of the same thing. Um, like the two animes are just different adaptations of the same manga um so it would be nice to see like more of the world that you'd be able to 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 go around and explore because i was like trying to i was trying to i was thinking about how i would explain you know what sort of setting it's in and it's not quite steampunk it's not quite interwar it's not quite it's basically fantasy. final fantasy 12 <laughs> it's Kind of, of, but like even then, like Final Fantasy XII was like super like ornate and then very a like too high like, tech. It's yeah, like more more high tech and very like fantastical in its designs. But FMAs are super like factory, like just came out of the of the 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 metalworks and everything is like super like just built to be used and that's it. But then you have all the cool abilities on it and like especially with how like creatively they use them and stuff. I don't know. It would just be a really, a really sweet game to see more than just like the uh, the little hack and slashes that that came out on like the Brett, PS2. I'm gonna say I want to see an Arc System Works fighting game of FMA. Oh my god! I think they that would work characters. super well. <laughs> that would be so much fun. I, I don't even like fighting games, and I would get it just because it would be fun. <laughs> but but then it might be like. Uh, I don't know. It, it might be like Kill a Kill if or whatever the one fighting game was, and it would just might well, not be was, good. That be was sad. published by Arc System Works, not made by. Well, Arc System Works. I just it was it's a fighting game of an anime. Okay, that's the that's the comparison. There's a lot of fighting games with a lot of animes, and most of them are bad, bro. <laughs> 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 you, you want good? You've got a very limited selection. All right, we got to pick a winner. I'm gonna start. I gotta give my vote to Avatar. For I think the exact reasons I what outlined, it's just, and the reasons Brett outlined, I just think Avatar translates a little bit better to a video game because there are slightly lesser restrictions than Full Metal has. I think Full Metal's got a little bit too crunchy of a alchemy system that, unless you're playing as the characters directly from the anime, where you have like specific outlined abilities that they can use, it's hard to translate that into game mechanics. And make it make sense. Uh, whereas I, I think Avatar is just pliable enough that it would work really well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my vote, uh, not just because I, it's mine, but I also vote for myself. <laughs> you evil, evil man, I vote for you too. Yeah. Yeah, All right. So, so officially, Avatar is the, the franchise that most needs another game. Please. Yeah. Would be Dude, I'm just imagining so how how amazing an Avatar MMO would be with like your factions of the different nations, your class is just like the type of bending you do. I, I just want like a narrative like like melee combat like narrative focused on oh, like no, a platinum already, game. Yeah, <laughs> I'm already like I'm already or like a Fallen Order type of thing, you know? Like, yeah, like you could you could do a like a light. Um, you know, Dark Soulsy kind of thing. With it. I don't. I think See, you, you I'm, need I'm someone experienced with 
with martial arts style. Well, I'm movements. saying I'm saying that style of game that they made works well. Not that that studio specifically. Yeah, I, I think Griezmann doesn't have martial arts in him yet. Maybe maybe a few more years they can get a there. few more fallen orders, and maybe they'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that leads us into our next discussion of we, we want to talk about how video games differ than other media in in presenting their setting. So looking at at fantastical and sci-fi settings, how how does a game present the setting to you in ways that are different and not necessarily doable in other forms of media? So I think classic example of this is something like Halo, uh, where Halo has a, a far more limited amount of words to get setting across to you, but you have far more time looking at everything. So it's a lot of it's in the architecture and like the weapon designs, the uh, the map designs, how does the Forerunner stuff is all, like, industrial concrete in the early games and, like, super stark, almost brutalistic architecture that, that just, like, kind of gets across what that that race of people was like without needing to actually tell you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that kind of thing. Now, Wyatt, I'm going mean... to call on you first because I know you've got something <laughs> waiting. <laughs> I mean, immediately, and and this is less specific to that but like like what immediately comes to mind to me is that um video games just have the time to showcase things more through a combination of like just like the actual length of time right like games are allowed to be kind of as long as they want in in a sense and so you have you, you just have that time to explain your world more but also you're explaining it through like oh here's this weapon here's how you use this weapon and just by showing the player the ropes of like your combat system or how this system or how this mechanic works it's also explaining the world at the same time because we have that advantage games well we by by we i mean games have the advantage of like there's a lot of explaining things because there's a lot of tutorials that are showing you what to do and that's also a really good way to get a lot of uh the details of your setting out there at the same time yep yeah, i i definitely agree um i think where that most tends to come out is stuff like, I'll use Final Fantasy VII as the example because Wyatt's now familiar with that. So, uh, <laughs> Materia is something that they highlight a lot as being super important, but it's not often directly in the narrative. It's more just like a thing that makes things function there. And the way you often get that, you kind of experience that, is that it's the primary way of using abilities in the game. It's how you, you do all your character builds and stuff. So you know Materia is important when you're you're having to do all these these things to like organize your inventory and make sure you've got the right materia assigned to the right character uh even without like any of the narrative surrounding it you kind of know how important that stuff is there's a, a neat little way of, of making stuff like that function yeah all right brett i know you're you're steaming in your corner i have like <laughs> like five things going through my brain at once and i just need to just roulette and just pick one only five <laughs> only <laughs> five i can only handle single digits white i'm up at smart did you not carry the seven again <laughs> i did not carry the final fantasy 7 remake uh integrate uh deluxe integrate intermission oh god there's intermission now too <laughs> okay brief tangent Intergrade, Intergrade, Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade is just the name of the PS5 version. The the DLC (laughs) with Yuffie is called Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade Intermission. Rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? (laughs) 
Oh man. Okay. Oh, all right, go yeah. ahead, Brett. Well, um, it it, it just kind of. I mean, this this just kind of comes from just games being games compared to non-experiential media and and art. Um, but it, like you know, you get to actually experience the things that are in these the these these kinds of settings that are not in real life. Like you don't have uh you know whatever they try to make a save point be in real life, so they have to make that be a Moogle or some kind of like rune or something that you go up to and save at uh and you know they have to make things things like that that you have to have mechanically because video game um you know if if they're designed well and smartly then they'll probably be designed in a way that they'll fit the setting so you know they they don't stick out more than you being able to notice them as a player uh, and you don't really get that you don't really get anything similar to that with like movies or anything like you can have like if if a director like does a bunch of stuff with a bunch of films and a bunch of different genres and you can get like easter eggs of like I, I i can't think of an example um without thinking of uh the horrible horrible uh what has happened to the cloverfield franchise um but like <laughs> how like oh the the this the soda shows up here that means it's in the same universe but like with more nuance than that mm-hmm. um, yeah and then because 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 game our game then you can go even further with that um and you can do things that like I don't know, like a like a Kojima or like a like a Xenogears would do, where you're like, oh, you go to the factory to see where the 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 futuristic save sigils are being produced, and they actually mean something in the world and aren't just the yellow save symbol that you go up to. Ooh, I do gotta say, there it, is one movie that I've seen that does that. That's uh, Edge of Tomorrow. It's like yes. the only movie I think I've seen ever attempt something like that. Um, which doesn't mean there haven't been others that have done it. I'm not as much of a film buff as I am a games buff, but yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Uh, mm-hmm. I do love those little excuses, especially when a game like specifically addresses the fact that you're saving and loading. Yes. Like the uh, mm-hmm. Dark Souls is a good example of like bonfires are addressed in the narrative of being like, yeah, you're that is your your one thing, but it's not really good. It's more you just get to suffer every time you you wake up. So. Yeah, I love when games what address I, that kind of thing. What I like too is when, because it's kind of along the same lines, um, is is when like you have a traditional mechanic that, that that's then affected by the game that you're playing in some way. So uh, a good example is like how fast travel is handled in a lot of games. Is like, oh, there's a fast travel point. Go to your map, select the fast travel point, and then your guy magically teleports there. Uh, but again, like I said, I've been playing Days Gone, and I think they handle fast travel really in a really interesting way, where you have select fast travel points you can go to, but because a lot of the game is focused on how much gas your bike has and, and the condition of your bike, if the fast travel point is really, really far away, and realistically you wouldn't be able to drive there yourself on that one tank of gas, you can't go there until you get closer, until you guess up your bike more. So it's like a really traditional mechanic that's then kind of affected by the game that you're in. Another good example is like Red Dead 2, where you have if you want to fast travel, you have to go to a fast you have to go to a wagon, like a that'll take you to different places. You also have to pay the wagon and make sure you go there at like the right times of day where they're actually in operation, which is kind of annoying, 
but again, it's the it's the kind of thing where it's a traditional mechanic that's affected by the setting of the game and the intent of the game, which is to like make this very immersive, like realistic cowboy simulator. And so in a more realistic cowboy setting, that's the kind of thing you would have to contend with. And they're really nice little touches that like kind of immerse you in the, the world more. Yeah, I gotta agree with the um the Days Gone, the way Days Gone handles it is a nice middle ground of being uh realistic enough for a video game where mm-hmm. it is the semblance of realism. It's of course not realistic at all. But it it's, it's enough. It's yeah. enough. It's contextualized in a way that is um really, really good for the setting it's in. Whereas like the Red Dead 2 thing, yeah, definitely really works for that cowboy setting. It doesn't really work for Red Dead 2 as a game. <laughs> as much i mean and some people are into that some people are into like having those those harsh restrictions because it exactly but you more. typically find those people more in like the crpg or very crunchy mmo like hardcore player base. things that are a lot less accessible yeah right? you, you tend to find those people yeah. gravitating towards those kinds of games and not towards the AAA red dead 2 which i think is why there was a lot of like player backlash against parts of red dead 2 um but we'll inevitably end up having an episode about that kind of thing definitely um but yeah so i i definitely want to kind of extend that and talk a little bit about mmos so mmos are on my mind recently because i've not had a lot of time to play games the last well, week or two but when i have had the time i've been playing final fantasy 14 and that game does something really interesting in that it, it is one of those few final fantasy games that has finally addressed the fact that healing magic exists in the game. <laughs> oh, okay. And this is a recurring problem I have with almost every single... I don't want to see Final Fantasy because it's, it's every game. It's every single game that has a spell that like either heals or reses a player. Almost never addresses the fact that those spells exist. Because there's like... It's stuff like when you're playing D&D, right? And you have... A, a spell that brings a dead player back or a dead NPC back that inherently changes how your setting needs to be constructed because like player death or NPC death is is not as big of a deal anymore so you didn't really need to have some way to be like okay this person is dead dead and in D&D that's like if their body is gone they are dead dead until you have some like ultra powerful method of like reconstructing a body um, but in the case of Final Fantasy 14 there was one specific scene in, in this really awesome expansion called Heavensward where I was almost shouting at the screen that I am playing as a healer right now. I have access to a spell that heals you. <laughs> and there's, there's all these people are like worried about someone. And I'm like, <laughs> I can heal you right now. And, and so that was very frustrating. And then the thing that I like to see in MMOs is when you when the developers of the game ha- like realize people's problems and address them, I reached a later quest in the game where a similar thing happens. A character then looks up at my character and goes, what are you doing? Don't you know how to heal people? Get over here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing because it literally does the thing where it's a cutscene where it pans to your character like standing there looking all worried and then someone just calls you out and is like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? It broke me because I, I went back and rewatched that to make sure I wasn't like imagining it. And if you're playing a different type of character, like if you're playing a character that's a, a tank or a, um, a a DPS, they don't get that scene because they, they don't have the healing ability. Uh, but if you're playing as a healer, 
you get that special scene, which was it broke me. <laughs> I'm like, that That's is amazing. something video games can do of like actually respecting the fact that the player made a choice and is like playing as a specific thing and can do specific things. And usually you only see that in um, RPGs of like a single player variety because it's a lot harder to do in an MMO, especially an MMO where you can change your class whenever you want. <laughs> so it was just really refreshing to see a setting handle that and, and be like, yeah, you have access to the healing magic. What are you doing? Like, <laughs> and, and directly like meta address that issue with older Final Fantasy games, especially where where you'll have a character just like looking at someone dying and, and just standing there and being like, oh no, what could I do? As you look at your stockpile of potions and healing spells. As you look at your dedicated healer character, <laughs> just like, oh, if only there was something we could do. There's 75 <laughs> Phoenix Downs I just bought. <laughs> I'm just imagining like redoing the cutscene where like, there's like a character death or something and you're literally holding all of the like phoenix downs in your arms and you're just like if only there was something we could do i'm so sorry <laughs> whatever will i do that's why i love the fact that that cutscene was a character literally looks at you as you are standing there doing the the video game sad look of like yeah. someone's dying and then yells what are you doing stop gawking and help me <laughs> you know how to heal don't you i was like it's one of those moments where, like, you know the people are directly addressing the issue of the earlier quest, right? Mm -hmm. They look directly at player feedback and we're like, okay, we understand that this was super weird, so now we're fixing it. Um, which is just really refreshing to see. But yeah, I think that's something interesting that games can do of, like, that, that changing attitude over time, especially, is just super hard to pull off. But when an in, in MMO or a live service game, like, I think we are all holding out hope for the moment Destiny 2 does a complete 180. <laughs> I've, I, I've given up hope of my life. <laughs> no, no, I'll rephrase that. I'm holding out that's, hope that's that, that Bungie does a 180. <laughs> and I, I don't care about Destiny 2 anymore. I care about Bungie. Yeah. I want them... No, I want them to do well. I just don't care about that series anymore. Yeah. I want to I see what, what they work on next, because I... I keep hearing that they're working on a new franchise, and I am interested to see what this new franchise is, especially if it's not something that's like online looter shooter Open stuff. World, FPS with RPG elements, always online. Yeah. Look, look, I, you honestly, from Bungie, you had me up until the online part. <laughs> that's, a, that's upsetting. That's upsetting I know, to me. I know. <laughs> I know it is. I know it is. Well, I mean, all I need Bungie to do is give me give me good gunplay and a reason to use it that is fun, and I'll be there. But as soon as you make me repeat the same quest fifty times to get a single exotic, that's when I that's when you lose me. You've lost me at that point. I'm like, I don't, I don't have the time for this. <laughs> but the grind, Ryan. It's the grind. Yeah, but there it's are other grindy grind. games. I'm playing FF14 right now. I have I have yet to have to re grind anything. I've played this Just game for like good narrative years reason. at this point. Just give me a good narrative reason to do these things that either is consistently good or isn't actually pretty good up until the very end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just needs to, it needs to hit a minimum standard of quality. It's not even that it needs to be good. It just needs to be enough of a reason. Like Diablo it 3 does that. Not, it needs to not bother me. <laughs> Diablo 3 just says like, oh, we've got demons are opening rifts across the world. You got to go fight these randomized demons to, to fight back the, the wave of demons. That's enough of an excuse. That is, <laughs> that's all I need. 
sprinkle some good character moments in there, and that's 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 fine. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we got our destiny uh, comment sandwich out of the way. Well done, guys. Well done. Until it comes back. <laughs> we're like well, halfway through. Until we're hungry for another comment sandwich. <laughs> I mean, we can say like Destiny does the thing that you want to, at least did the thing you want to avoid. They're, they're actually doing a little better of it now from the last bit I played of delivering narrative in the game and not through external. I don't believe you. <laughs> well, because I went back to play the online. I am full like on cool Hawkeye. Book. I'm full on Hawkeye from Endgame. Just like, don't give me hope. Don't give me hope. Well, I'm not trying to give you <laughs> hope because I, I don't think it was particularly, it's not particularly well done or like interesting, but it's far better than what they were doing of go look at this like trailer we made to get the interesting story um, or, or this this Grimoire Cards website. They have to like shoot five orbs and chase your tail for five minutes and then you unlock this new Grimoire card. Beautiful. That'll yeah. like let you understand about five percent of what's supposed to be going on yeah absolutely i think <laughs> that's a a huge thing with it with their stuff but i can feel both brett and wyatt seething one of you i mean we, we start talking about destiny and i'm just steaming <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is just anger it's a it's a trigger word it's, a, right, it's brett, a trigger you had, topic brett, you had five things ready hit me with your your second okay um I think, uh, and I, I guess this is comparing games as a whole to more like, um, I'm, I'm thinking of like, I guess more Western paradigms of like science fiction and fantasy. Um, I feel like in the, the space of video games, those get blended together in a lot more interesting ways than they do for at least like most like books and movies that I can think of of like the top of my head. Like usually if, if something's being made, if like a movie is being made, that is like a fantasy movie. Like you think like something, something akin to Lord of the Rings, like you were getting sword and board. There's a dr dragon. Maybe there's a wizard and a guy with a bow and they got to go to the mountain. Um, and there's going to be a lot of fire inside of there. There's going to be a lot of dwarves. And a lot of dwarves, around. and they get drunk, and they're and inside they of a the mountain. they have the same name. Mm -hmm. they, <laughs> all the words that they say rhyme, um, <laughs> and they all sound Irish or Scottish, because that's what dwarves sound like. Okay, that was oddly specific, but you know what I mean? <laughs> We're like like the, the, the Western, um, you know, like version of, of, of fantasy where it's just like, very, very medieval and based in like Dragon's kind of... Dogma is the baseline Western, like, yeah, medieval fantasy. <laughs> um, but even like like that that's a video game. Like there are other video games that like are in fantasy settings, and this is you know I'm just talking fantasy right now. But the same thing goes for for sci-fi, where there's just like there's a blend of weird things going on. Mm -hmm. Like there's I I wouldn't I'm I'm playing uh final fantasy 9 right now and i'm almost done with it i wouldn't really call it like I, I wouldn't call it steampunk at all but there are airships and there are things that there are cable cars and there are things that kind of reach out of of fantasy um to try to make the setting more interesting than just being you know fantasy story number five hundred thousand. Uh, and, and the same thing, I, maybe a little bit of a lesser extent to to, to sci-fi now, because I feel like a lot of sci-fi and games has become 
gray with neon lights and and shooty shoe and occasionally someone throws an energy ball out of their hand um well let's not get too crazy let's not get yeah space magic (laughs) (laughs) space wizards we're we're done we're done with destiny we can't we can't do this again (laughs) hey i didn't Um, say the word i just said a space wizard that maybe or may or may not have come from the moon that's all i'm saying okay (laughs) i'm I'm gonna hope i'm gonna hope for our sake that it didn't come from the moon uh but but yeah i I feel like there's more variety to the the quote-unquote typical settings of science fiction and fantasy in games than there than there is in other media usually i don't know if that's just a me thing no i definitely agree i mean i actually i because i actively tend to seek out a lot of like fantasy media because at least in in film because like there are plenty of fantasy books most of them are trash but some of them are good um (laughs) but when it comes to like movies and and tv shows we have lord of the rings yeah that's like the only good one and we had game of thrones for a long time until it you know jumped off a cliff but uh (laughs) into a solo cup that they left on set wasn't it a starbucks cup oh it was it was a starbucks cup so I, I think you, it's really, right. really <laughs> disappointing that there are a lot of scenarios where, like, other media... I think because other media tend to be under more constraints of, like, we need to hit this amount of people to buy our thing or, or watch our thing to get a next season in, or to mm-hmm. tell the story we want to tell. Whereas a game, like, generally you can make a game that will end. Like, you have... An God, remember when those were made? Mind. Remember when uh, video games had like a nice decisive ending and was like satisfying both from a story perspective and a gameplay perspective? No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's it's a situation where games like and the games also have the advantage of being able to like people don't tend to care as much about the setting making a ton of sense because it's more important to follow like for at least a lot of like RPGs and especially JRPGs to follow the rule of cool. Of like, mm-hmm. is this fun? Is this cool? Is it something that your player would want to do? Like, I don't care that Cloud... It doesn't make sense that Cloud could backflip off a train because it's awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I think... And I think I might have mentioned this before, but I, I feel like for a lot of people, and it's completely valid, but like for, for a lot of uh, people, like a video game setting is just a justification to have cool stuff mechanically and like from a gameplay perspective. Like whether, like like you say, whether it makes sense, it doesn't matter. If it's cool and it can lead to cool things then who really cares about the specifics you know yeah i i definitely agree with that uh, I, I think good examples of that always final fantasy is a good thing to look to of how you can pull off that weird not quite steampunk not quite fully fantasy aesthetic uh, that's kind of become associated with final fantasy at least the the newer ones I say newer ones. I mean, I really just mean nine, twelve, and eleven. Yeah, um, and fourteen also has that aesthetic, but like fifteen and um, thirteen are very different. It, it just is like a very fun environment to be in, where you can have like guns alongside uh, magic, alongside weird cat people. So <laughs> it's just cool to see all that stuff in, in the same setting and be like, okay, this. I I don't really care if this doesn't make perfect sense because it's really fun. Um, and this is the classic example of like weird CRPGs that exist on PC like Arcanum where it's a super interesting steampunk setting 
that's got a ton of weird stuff going on. Um, you just have games that are like incredibly strange, like Gunfire Reborns, a roguelike, but you play as a cat with that dual wields guns. So <laughs> it's just something you don't really tend to see often in other forms of media of the, these weird settings. All right, Wyatt. I, I feel you. Oh, Brett. You had I, 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 I'm sorry. I had I had another thought. My brain does that sometimes. Um, I I, th I think a lot of uh, where that comes from is because, especially the way you described it, Ryan, it, it feels very D and D. At least the campaigns that I've been in, and like, yeah. you know, how many of those games that like were brought up as examples are like based off of like at least the concept of D D or like the have the veins of D D in them. Like the very first Final Fantasy and like Dragon Quest and stuff exist because they had fun playing D D and had to make a video game off of something. And I okay. feel like it's a yeah. lot of the way for a lot of RPGs. Well and I think I think it also stems from the fact that for the longest time uh games just were so uh they didn't have enough time to really explain their setting. So they're like because literally all they had time for was let's have these cool things. And I guess, I don't know, maybe this setting to justify it. And they, it, with the exception of like an instruction manual that came in the box, right. They didn't really have a lot of time to explain the world that you're in. And that was purely like its only purpose for the longest time. And I think it kind of stems from that for the most yeah. part. Like, I think now, I think just now we're starting like, cause when you think about it, like games as a, as like a, a medium is still pretty young. Right. It's in, it's kind of like weird um, preteen who am I phase, I think, at the moment. Yeah. And so I, I feel like more recently we've only really started uh, ha like showing an interest both in terms of like on for for developers and for um, players to be like, I want to know more about the world, not just how it can make cool stuff happen. You know, because I think more people are starting to realize that it has more potential than that. And so I think we're only just now starting to like uh, justify the world from like a logistical standpoint and not just how can it make the game more fun. Yeah. And I also think it's important that like the, the biggest thing that concerns me with that is that games, at least the AAA games, will hit the point of being like too concerned with making yes. sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we'll there's, lose. There's a balance. Yeah. yeah. We'll lose gyms like. Mario, Sonic, uh, stuff like Katamari Damacy, where the game has lore and it's really in depth, but the gist of what you're doing is just rolling up people into a ball, <laughs> people and objects into to big balls and rolling them around, and that's really that's really fun. Yeah, not I'm, and of course I'm not saying every game needs to justify its world now, but I'm just saying it's it's great that we're seeing games that have an interest in doing it and doing it well yeah so long as those games are, are doing a unique setting like i think days gone is a good example of that of a, a game that is that does a lot to justify why the setting is the way it is and like they they openly address questions like well this zombie plague is really recent how is it that like every major city instantly went down they're like oh well, there's yeah, there's a there whole storyline yeah and there's a whole storyline dedicated to like explaining the to explaining how the zombies work, which is actually really interesting. Um, and yeah, and just the, the idea of being like a, a biker in a zombie apocalypse already, I think is an interesting kind of point to start off of. Yeah. I just think it's important to recognize that like oftentimes games don't need more than you are Mr. Doom guy. You have a shotgun and there are demons. Oh, Mars. definitely not. It's just nice that now we have the option to have 
to yeah i, I just think it's games like do that. games are the only form of media where you can really get away with that yeah <laughs> if that makes sense and if it's an indie game that that's charming like people don't tend to want out of what would be like a 10-hour experience you don't often want them to spend a lot of that time setting up the world you would rather just experience it and but i also feel it. like the, i also feel like the best games are ones that you can have it both ways like you can just play through the game just to play it and you can kind of skip a lot of content that is there to explain the world. And if you want to stop and smell the roses, you can, but you can also just go on and play the game and still mostly understand what's happening in the central story without having to do that. And yeah, I think there that, are that some only games... applies to, to, that doesn't apply to every genre though. It's, it's no, no, stuff no, no, like, no, no. I, I'm more talking about like indies right now of, of things that do those weird one-off settings that, that they don't have time or the money to explain their, their setting. So it's just a weird oh, sure. thing. Like, <laughs> I love that that exists. So there can be like, oh, definitely, this weird mech game where you're flying around in the clouds because the planet exploded for some reason. <laughs> I just love that that exists. Um, why? Who cares? <laughs> why? It doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What matters is the fact that there's no ground, so you can like railgun people to infinity. Uh, that's what matters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think I think that's just really where games tend to shine is just like the the innovation of these crazy settings that like wouldn't get made otherwise. Especially cuz they have the advantage of like a game can choose an art style to match the intent in the setting and they're not locked to like using actors or using CG animation. It's they can do whatever they want. Um so like there are detective games that use real people doing full motion videos that work really well. There's stuff like Wind Waker where it's just super cartoonish and fits the setting super well. Yeah. You're stealing my next point. <laughs> well, maybe I'm just providing a segue into Wyatt's next point. Oh. <laughs> um, there's one thing that I hate, and it shows one? up not just in video games. Only one? Quiet, quiet you. Uh, not <laughs> Look, if you want to know what I hate, just go watch a couple of episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we, we got you covered if, if you're at all curious for some reason. Um, one thing that pops up in everything, whether it's games, movies, books, TV shows, whatever, is what is passionately called dial exposition. And it is one of the worst forms of writing ever. It is you're trying to explain a world or you're trying to explain a relationship between two characters. But in order to do that, you have people talk not like human beings. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just awkwardly trying to get information out to the viewer or the player in yeah. a very awkward, bad way. Well, it's also like, why what? like amnesia is such a crutch that's relied upon for every form of media, because it means your protagonist doesn't remember everything, so someone needs to explain to them how the world works. Yeah, I mean, you were you were able to get the gist of Mass Effect's world really, really well, and you didn't have that issue. Like you're you're Commander Shepard, you're like a, a a respected commander, and you don't you don't have to be introduced to the world because the player character also has to be introduced to the world, right? And God, the the example that pops into my head every single time because I saw it, someone sent me a clip of it, and I it never it, it scarred me so much that it never left me. Um, Call of Duty. Infinite Warfare has one of the worst <laughs> oh, yeah, I bits this. of dial exposition I, I have ever this. seen. It is horrible. It is literally the beginning of the game. There's like a narration from um, Troy Baker, 
uh, and he's like, oh yeah, we're uh, in a war with like Korea or whatever, or whatever's going on. Um, and he's like, yeah, I signed up to the military with my best, with my best friend, Will. And then he's like, and then this guy's talking to the main character. He's like, yeah, I, I signed up. Uh, I signed up because of the old man. Uh, Cause I wanted to get away from him. And then the other guy's like, yeah, I signed up cause of the old man too. It's like, wait, is that, wait, you two are friends. Wait, what? <laughs> why are you talking like that? You two would already know that you're about to go into war and you're talking about why you joined the military. You two are best friends. You would already know this. Why is this here? <laughs> it is just so awkward and bad and only there just to inform the player. And it is so, so just like heavy handed and, just so poorly written and I hated it and it just made my skin crawl. Ugh. That just demonstrates like games still need to follow filmmaking principles oftentimes. Like when you're designing a camera. Or just writing principles, not even filmmaking principles, just writing principles. Well, I was saying general. filmmaking, so I was about to go into a, com a camera comparison. <laughs> ah, when okay. you're, uh, please proceed. When you're, when you're doing like cinematic shots in, in cinema, apply to games because they're similar. Like uh, framing and whatnot still has the same rules in video games except the player has control of the camera a lot of the time if not all the mm -hmm. time so you need to make sure when you're making a camera that your camera needs to be able to frame things in cinematic ways despite it being in the control of a player so unless there's tons of tricks you got to do <laughs> unless you're uh, an incredibly skilled developer and you know how to have great cinematic framing whether or not you have control over the camera like two examples like we were just talking about bioshock i think bioshock even though it's a first person shooter that has such great like cinematic framing well of, it like, pulls it off with the level area. design but the level design that's, is well, built that's what i was it. getting to that's what i was getting to uncharted is another good example no matter what the heck your player is doing with the camera if they're like messing around and just being dumb you're always going to have a sense of awe when you walk into an environment because it's so well designed because it has it's designed with the it, it's designed in mind that like yeah we're not going to have control over the camera a lot of the time so how can we design it in a way that it's still going to grab your attention whether or not you're actually paying attention or not <laughs> yeah and i also do want to like definitely call out dial exposition i think that the genre that is always super at risk of doing this is of course rpgs like i, I don't think i can think of an rpg i have played that has not had some form of dial exposition legitimately like i'm thinking back i think every single one has had at least a few lines of, of terrible dial exposition which you know it's it's not a killer for a game at all like you can get over a line or two of bad writing especially if it's for the sake of like a tutorial or something but mm -hmm. or it's such a big game that like in the grand scheme of things there's a yeah. lot more writing i think like mmos especially do this all the time of like when you're a player logging into the game and then suddenly they're like, okay, you got to go kill a boar because you're stupid and don't know how to do anything. <laughs> so go kill this woodland creature to demonstrate that you are a functional person. Oh, chosen one, show me your grand strength by slaying this pig. <laughs> I always think that's just so hilarious. Uh, and yeah. again, I got to give a shout out to Final Fantasy XIV for... It, do, it does have dial exposition, and it's pretty bad. Like, it's a, it's a Final Fantasy game, and they, they tend to have a little bit of dial exposition sprinkled in there that's awful. Uh, but there mm -hmm. are some excellent bits of, like, there's a, a city in the game called Ishgard where you, you do some cool stuff, and it's, like, super... It's basically, like, a almost a Dark Souls-style city of, like, it's built around a holy church and whatnot. 
but a lot of the time they, they try to like hint at things being corrupted, but you don't actually directly interact with that. And then I went and did a, a side quest about unlocking the Dark Knight class, and the dude is just like, yeah, no, what it what we're gonna go do is these these temple knights just beat up an old woman and are like gonna go take an executor or something, and they're like, she didn't do anything wrong. So what it, what the Dark Knight class is in that game is you just get so angry at people being mean <laughs> that you pull off a great sword and, and decapitate them. So <laughs> that's awesome. But it, it was a really good moment because that that side quest ties in with both the Dark Knight's backstory of what their whole deal is, and I'm obviously simplifying it, but it also ties into the city you're in, and they're being like, "Yeah, this is not this this whole religious temple thing doesn't work." Like, everyone is corrupt, basically. Uh, and it's a good way mm -hmm. to demonstrate that. All right, Brett, I, will... I feel you. Well, Wyatt, you going to finish out I was, your... I, I did, I did want to finish... I did want to finish one more, one more thought. I know I did say that um, Mass Effect does, like, a good job of explaining the world without dial exposition. On the other hand, it is a little... At least it was distracting for me to have, like, your, your player character be this, like... Uh, you know, battle-hardened, experienced commander, but he has to constantly ask what these things are. It's like, shouldn't you know, like what, <laughs> like shouldn't you know what the uh, like the genophage is and stuff like that? Like but what if you have to ask about are. It, yeah, the, the thing that it, it is a little is like biotics are are the bit where I think maybe Mass Effect is guilty of some dialogue exposition. Mm -hmm. Or um, and and again, the the big thing that that sticks out to me, it's like, wait, how do you not know what genophage is? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, I think Genophage makes more sense to me because the galaxy's huge, so they could have just been in a different part of the galaxy. Like I can, right, I but can if you're a commander, that. but if you're, but if you're like a commander, that feels like something that you would know about. Well, I mean, because it's I, part I, of the I, games. Like it, that's a thing where I think you can kind of ab abstract it as like, okay, Shepard probably just wasn't in that part of the universe at this time, so wouldn't really be aware of it. But it's, but it's a common knowledge. Sort of, I mean, in I that remember. part of the universe, because you, you're the game takes place in that area for the most part. So, of course, it's common knowledge there, but like you can abstract that to be like there are justifications you can come up with for that that make sense. Mm -hmm. But they it, didn't make those. Well, I'm yeah, why I'm trying to get to the other point. I'm not trying to, okay. to hesitate on that. It's just like okay, that is, I think, more forgivable than the like Shepard doesn't understand what biotics are. That's fair. That's because, right. like, biotics are a universe thing that happens everywhere, and you can start the game as a biotic, and then you still get biotics explained to you. <laughs> Which is... Right. I, I don't know how they solve that problem, because I think you have to do it, because you gotta explain somewhere how you have weird telekinetic powers. Like, that's gotta be explained somehow in a game that is, like, semi-realistic in how it does its setting handling, like, tries to explain things. But I, I think that is like the far more egregious example of like. No, I, I do agree. This is I something that like really doesn't make sense why you have to have it explained. But at the same time, it's not a huge issue because like you spend what five minutes on that of, over the course of a sixty-hour game. <laughs> right, right. It's it's distracting, but it's ultimately not like. It's inconsequential. Yeah. I would is what yeah. I would kind of say. Yeah. Uh, Brett, you've been simmering, waiting right. for the, the pot to boil over. Um, well, uh, it's, it's, it's the thing I'm cheating. It's the thing you said before, but I was going to say it anyway, so I'm going to say more on it. Um, I, games have a 
kind of a for for a long time they've had a weird hurdle to get over that movies just you know didn't really for the longest time of yeah, movies you you point that camera at a real person and most of the time they look like a real person because that's <laughs> what they are I see uh, in in games um well that's that thing is made of squares so uh you got to do you got to do a really good job to make uh, those squares look like a real person or like a real horse or like a real hey, I don't know they could be made tree. of triangles this is or they could be oh my god what's the is rasters or the, I don't I don't care vector <laughs> could be vector drawn characters Ve- vector yeah. <laughs> um do you guys know that the, the, the Metal Gear Solid game over screen is actually vectored? So even though it's a PS1 graphic, if you play it on the PS4, it's like incredibly smooth looking. <laughs> that, that, there's, there's, my, there's my side fact. Anyway, <laughs> um, it's uh, and you know what? I think Metal Gear Solid is actually a great example, because if you're looking at it on paper, those people look like garbage. They don't even have faces. They're horrible looking. But at the same time, and I know I'm not the only one that thinks about this. They are so charming. I think that when games have like to really try to find other ways to get like past those graphical limitations to make something that like fits the way that it is quote unquote filmed and and fits the setting that it's in, that is a hundred percent more successful for me than it trying to be quote unquote realistic and be in that fantastical setting because the setting's not real. So the things in it don't have to look real either if it's all stylized well. And Wing well uh, Wind Waker is a good example. Um the Final Fantasies that aren't seven are a good example because <laughs> seven doesn't you know the people I mean like don't every Final so Fantasy before seven and like after until we hit like twelve. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It is, that level of stylization that you can get in a game that you know movies usually aren't like made in, and books. Who cares? You, you never. <laughs> you, I hope you're really interested to see a book written <laughs> in a world where everyone is made out of like low poly bones and and we're really like chipified. Um, but, but yeah, that's the thing that only games have to quote unquote worry about, and I don't think they really have to worry about it anymore or anymore as much as just like embracing it to to fit the style of the of the setting that they're in yeah i definitely agree um i think great example of a, a more recent game that does this is persona 5 like persona 5 is hyper stylized and that game looking even semi-realistic would probably be far worse than what it actually looks like uh i think pokemon another good example of like pokemon is not a franchise i want to see be realistic <laughs> basically ever because i would yeah give me out <laughs> I'm, i don't want to so see you fuzzy we're not a fan you were not a fan of the detective pikachu aesthetic actually no i am i think detective pikachu's aesthetic works well for film i don't think it would work well for a game Ugh. like i i think that is agree probably agree. The, i think that is probably the best they could have done in a live action pokemon game i think a live action pokemon Ugh. film I think if they're making Pokemon films, they should probably be looking at animated and not live action. Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably. Pretty much all the time. <laughs> but it, yeah. they wanted to make a live action Pokemon movie. I think that's about the best they could have done. 
Uh, yeah, I guess so. And you know, sometimes I really do just love that we have flesh Mr. Mime. Oh, God. I love that he has dodgeball shoulders. I don't like that's that my, That's those. my favorite part. That's such a weird choice. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally the exact, like, pattern and texture. Like, what? Oh, don't get me started. So confusing. <laughs> uh, it might be a pattern and texture from a CGI dodgeball from something. So it's hard to know. <laughs> Look, we, gotta give, we gotta give Mr. Mime shoulders, and this trailer's gotta be out tomorrow. Oh, I got this dodgeball model over here. Perfect. <laughs> Good enough. Perfect. <laughs> I'll never notice. Yeah, because like I, I think the thing I've been realizing, especially in the last uh, few years of game development, is like I tend to have more fun in the games that don't go for ultra realism because like. When you go for that ultra-realism in something like The Last of Us, you add a lot more realistic things to tie to. Where, like, I don't mind hyper-violence in a Platinum game or Doom because it's either demons that don't look very human or it is completely different, like, stylized graphics with a lot of weird visual effects happening. In The Last of Us, it's hard to look at things. Like, I can't really stomach playing that game (laughs) for any extended amount of time. Because it is just too violent. And, like, I'm not a person that generally gets offset by, by gore, but I think we're hitting the point where, like, we maybe don't gain so much unless you're mm-hmm. trying doing it for a specific reason, which is why I think Last of Us isn't a great example of this, because I, I do think there's a reason the game does that. Um, and it fits the game itself, but it is something I definitely don't want to see other games trying to emulate generally, mm-hmm. because I, I don't think they would be emulating it for the right reasons. It's like... Not everyone can can pull off the the justification for it well it's like if you're doing that you have to address it right you have to address the fact that this is hyper violent and you are making your player do hyper violence to people that are treated as real people right like as soon as that happens you you get a lot more um morally questionable (laughs) of like as a when you're a game designer you have to be thinking of like is what i'm designing and doing gonna have implications in, in, in any way that are not what I'm thinking. Like, um, classic example that we've, we've had on a, a project I'm working on now is that like one of our characters is a police officer. So we have to be super careful with how that character interacts with like certain things because of the political landscape right now. Like, we have to make sure we are not perpetuating things that are happening. So you have to be really careful with when you're portraying stuff like that. In a, in a game that is very serious with your reasons, I think. You, you gotta be on, on the nose with what you're doing and why. It's the, it's the distinction between are we watching, you know, classic samurai movies for, for our, you know, kill animations, or are we going to, to live leak and, and looking at yeah. some, some, some good old snuff to make sure that we get those bones crackling just right? I mean, yeah, it's the kind of thing where, like, the Mortal Kombat animators have talked about this before, where yeah. they, they need therapy sometimes because of how rough it can be to do that. And I'm like, you know, these brutalities are, are cool, but, like, the more recent Mortal Kombat, there are some that I struggle to watch because they are, like... Because they have to top themselves. Yeah, they can't, they're constantly They can't show something that's, like, lesser. Yeah. It's like, I don't really... I'm not really getting anything out of seeing this character cut in half on a plate of glass and then sliding apart. Like I, it's not really satisfying to me. It's just very off. <laughs> but I get I it. Think for I me, give you what I think it's fun. 
for me, it's like, cause like, and I don't play Mortal Kombat, right? But, but I'll occasionally just check out like some of the new fatalities because I, I want to see like what they look like, right? And, uh, because I guess I'm just really messed up in the head or something. Uh, um, but I think like in that instance, like if you, if you compare it to the violence in like Last of Us, right? Like, obviously completely different games, but the violence in Last of Us is very like grounded and gritty and it's like, like makes me like, uh, like it just, it grosses me out. Whereas if I watch something like uh, uh, Mortal Kombat, it's so over the top that I find it difficult to like, for it to, to elicit any feeling other than like, that's kind of grody <laughs> because yeah. it's so like, so insane over the top. Whereas like, again, Last of Us 2, it's like super like in your face and it there's a lot of like emotion there's a lot of like uh narrative emotion to it that just gives it a lot more like impact if that makes sense yeah and that's also why like i that, that legitimately struggle to play that game because it, it it's a the point where like when the game is having me kill a bunch of people and i'm like well i've, I've seen the ending i've played this game before so if i'm going back to replay it i'm now like well if i'm replaying it what am I getting out of this experience that isn't just murdering people? And I think that's an interesting question to look at. I don't think there's necessarily an answer to that. It's more just mm -hmm. a thing that you have to like think about yourself. It's a case-by-case. Case. It's a case-by-case case basis with every game because I think the violence in Last of Us from a narrative perspective is like justified. Like There is a reason for it to be depicted in the way that it is. And I think it oh, so yeah, so ultimately aids the story, right? And it, and it and just in the same way that like I do think it works for Mortal Kombat because it's so over the top and that's what the series is known for that they have to keep up that image, <laughs> you know. But yeah, imagine if Mass Effect suddenly had Last of Us levels of gore, I would be a little bit, <laughs> a little bit off put yeah. by that. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, you got to know your setting and know your your audience when you're working on this stuff. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of was there ever a game that was like the violence is like a little bit like much. Yeah, for me. Manhunt and Rockstar was was like Rockstar's Manhunt game is the one that's like was banned in most countries because it was too violent. Um mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a handful of games that are like that. There's uh Hatred came out a few years ago and is literally just about running around oh. town and shooting people. Oh hatred. speaking hatred speaking of hatred, uh Agony. Was, oh, was I yeah. As well. I played um because I was just curious. I played the Succubus demo and I I could not play for more than like five minutes because you it's hit a point. It's just gross. It's like there's no. It's again like unlike Last of Us, it doesn't really like. There's no point. Like yeah, it's it there purely like it's for shock value. It's it's there to like sell copies on like shock value and just like grossing people out and that's it isn't that like weird because it, it literally takes place in hell like there there should be a justification for it and they're just the game isn't good so there isn't well it's because they make you play as someone doing it it's not like used as a, a horror shock value it's used as you go up to like a human person and then just like eviscerate them to heal yourself it's just like well i don't really want to do that <laughs> that's not really it's not really something i want to be doing um <laughs> much better uses of my time <laughs> and there's like there's more graphic things that the game does that like if you if you're interested feel free to either try that demo or look it up i can't really encourage you to because i don't think it's worth it but um there's stuff in there that i don't want to like even describe because it is brutal to the point of just being like why it'll get the video 
taken down and it'll get us taken yeah, off. Yeah, no, it would get us. <laughs> we'd get our episode a NC 17 rating, which we don't want. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a, a, a real real issue that a lot of games face. And there are games that certainly get around it. Like Disco Elysium comes to mind of uh, the other game I had uh, like a couple hours to play uh, about a week ago. And I got to a point where you have to talk to a character who is a raging racist. Like, racist to the point of being racist against everyone except his own people who is like from this small island and your partner is like someone who has dealt with with racism before so this this entire conversation is you just trying to figure out how do you deal with this horrific racist who is also capable of crushing you like a twig <laughs> so and just because the writing of the game is so good it can get away with that and like actually make it a really interesting conversation and have a lot of uh, unique things because it's never portraying being racist as like the answer but it's portraying like how do you deal with people like this like what is the solution to, to either change their way of thinking or like how would you interact with this person to get what you need for your investigation um, yeah. which is really interesting it's just it's a super unique situation that I haven't really seen in any other games of just dealing with like a difficult type of person that you see in real life sometimes, but never really see in games because it's hard to write. Like, super hard to write that kind of character. So, that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. All right, Brett. I feel like why and I just derailed your entire topic. So, what did you get? <laughs> um. Uh. Well, I was. I was. I was thinking a little bit. Um. Uh. Because my, my mind drifted because I say at some point you guys started talking about something I just didn't know about. So I was like, I'm going to let them go. Um, <laughs> go off, Queens. The last thing that I had to say on like the the kind of visual stylistic thing that games do more than the movies is um, I think a specific thing that they do really well with it. Uh, and it's not really like sci-fi or fantasy specifically, but I, I feel like it's a lot more times in movies where like okay it's a it's a horror movie you haven't seen the monster yet and then it comes out and it's a guy in a suit or it's like some really stupid looking or like really like nicely designed thing maybe but now it's like lit really well or you can see the whole thing and it's like okay well i'm not scared of that anymore that just looks cool now or that just looks stupid now um and uh, a lot of games use not being able to like have a quote unquote good uh like full monster show off thing for their their horror game like way better where like you know, you can have a monster made out of like 45 polygons or something in like a PS1 game and if you put that in like complete darkness like a lot of indie horror games are doing now like that is that is very successful in terms of like getting someone scared Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's 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 what I was thinking yeah, about. Well, it's that it's that thing of like you don't want to uh, in in terms of like a horror movie, right? Uh, if we're kind of comparing it to that, like think of how long it takes for you to actually get a full view of like the xenomorph from Alien, because they keep him hidden, they keep the design hidden for so long, and they also change its design every time you run into it because it's evolving and it's growing. Yeah. And it and it does a great job of like not only is the ship really dark, but it looks like the ship, so it like blends in way too well with the environment, and so you never know you never know what it's going to look like 
and it's that much scarier because you don't understand it to the to the extent if you don't even recognize it when you see it the next time. Yeah, I was thinking for games, it's like there's an entire subgenre of RPG maker horror games oh, that can yeah. be really effective at what they're doing because like if you have a, a real mastery of what horror is and how to deliver that to a player, you don't really need visuals most of the time even more I mean, advanced than like a few things but i mean blair witch project yeah like <laughs> Perfect you, you don't yeah. you you'd need to have the the framing the narrative the like mystery behind it all but you don't necessarily need to actually have much in the way of uh visuals so you can do some really creative stuff to get around that yeah all right so we are we're running up into our time, and I think we've we've covered a lot of what we wanted to talk about. Uh, so I think it's time to move on to shoutouts. Are you two ready? I am ready. Sitting I'm there ready waiting. Go. All right, Wyatt. While well, you spoke up, it's you first. All right, great. Um, shout out to because I I mentioned uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender and how it should be in more video games. Shout out to the Avatar: The Last Airbender um, Dreams project that is still ongoing and is looking really really cool um if you don't know there's i think it's just the one guy and he's making a, a game in dreams that is all based on avatar and he's been working on it for such a long time and it's getting a lot of attention it's getting a lot of buzz and it's getting a lot of positive uh attention so if you're someone who uh is into dreams and just likes to look around other you know various projects and stuff and you're into avatar definitely check that out because it's looking really really cool yeah, I also want to just say like that's part of the cool thing about dreams is you can do those because um, I think it's one guy making the logic for it, but mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure he's using like art assets that other people are helping him with because you can like freely change and modify things from other people so long as they set it up that way. So it can be kind of like almost like a crowdsourced game, <laughs> which is really really cool. One of the neat things about dreams. All right, Brett, I feel you ready and waiting. Well. No one has ever, ever, ever given this man a shout-out before, ever in anything. Um, but shout-out to Nobuo Uematsu for... <laughs> oh, that <laughs> was sarcasm! Oh! <laughs> for for uh, giving me things to listen to when I walk up and down the hill every day that I have work at the top. Because, man, that some of the things that this, this man was able to do with, like, Someone, someone compared it to like painting the the Sistine Chapel, but with crayons. And he really—that is just the perfect analogy for some of the things that he was able to do on <laughs> on PS One yeah. and SNES. Really impressive work. I still listen to the uh, Seven Remake soundtrack while I'm working because it is eight and a half hours of pure fire. <laughs> It's yeah, so same good. thing. The 14 soundtrack, Nobu oh, um, Nobuo man. did a lot of tracks for it. Not all of them, because Masayoshi Soken does most of them. But uh, the entire thing is amazing, especially the stuff Oematsu does. Uh, it's sad, too, because Oematsu has recently said like the next game he works on will probably be the last full soundtrack he does. Yep. Like, this yeah, man's getting end old. End of an era. Uh, all right. My shout out Final Fantasy 14 added this thing called Feats, which are. These, these weird events. I always wanted feet in my video games. They might be called something different. It's it's feet, but with an accent mark. F F E E E 
F E T E, but the first E has an accent mark, which I don't know Fears. how you're actually meant to say that. <laughs> so it might it might meant to be be meant to be like fates. <laughs> you know, if you could I change it to fate, fate, would ya? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it means that I'm gonna put this the screenshot in general right now because it meant that I I got to see this insanity of hundreds of players. <laughs> Running around the streets of a city with Moogle, giant Moogle stuffed toys, delivering them to vans. <laughs> and this Nightmare is that will or dream come true. <laughs> for the rest of my life. I can't tell. <laughs> it was the most bonkers thing I've ever seen of literally like, I think every single player in that server of like thousands of people was at the same spot at this time because it's a, the new event thing from this patch. And it was bonkers to see a bunch of just people running around with giant moogles. I didn't yeah, know like how to react to it. sizes and everything. What the hell? <laughs> it was incredible. All right. With that, we've successfully done it. We've hit the end of the show. As always, it airs Tuesday morning, 7 a.m. on podcast platform of your choice and YouTube. Catch us live Sundays or Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern. We have a good night. Adios. Good morning. Afternoon, wherever you are. Okay. Dialect <laughs> just seems really, really not that bad. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I'm just staring at this picture, just into the abyss.